0: Revelation chapter 5. If you're new to our community, welcome. Uh, we are so delighted that you are here and uh, we want to look at a series of different texts this morning. So if you're new to the Bible, we'll put everything up on the screen so you can follow along. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. This is a man named John who is in exile, receives a vision about what things are like when heaven and earth finally get together and he gets a, a, an image of about uh, what is happening at the center of the universe. In verse 9, he says, And they sang a new song, saying... And this is a song uh, that is uh, to be sung about a lamb. And this, we know this is Jesus, of course. He, he is a lion who looks like a lamb who's been slain. This is very Old Testament-like imagery that's incredible. And they sing this song. You are worthy to take the scroll... And to open its seals, because you were slain, you were sacrificed, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests and to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And so the image you have is from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. So tribe has to do with your race. Language has to do with your patterns of speech. People group, people that have things in common. Uh, and then he talks about your nation. The word actually is the word that we get the word ethnic from. And so, so four different times he's saying the same thing. When, when heaven and earth get together at the end of the age, everyone's going to be a minority. It's kind of a beautiful picture. So you're going to have Brazilians worshiping with Eskimos. You're going to have South Africans uh, worshiping with people from Norway. You're going to—I mean, it's not English isn't going to be the only language. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah for that! It's going to be a big, beautiful thing. And 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 one of the things that, just by way of a minor point, I, I have some friends who say. Uh, that whenever you're talking about, like, every tongue, tribe, nation, um, the goal isn't to see color. The goal is to be colorblind. And, and I, I totally disagree. Our God loves color. Our God love, he, God, our God is not colorblind. And so the image you get is of every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group, all proclaiming, all sharing in together the worship of this Jesus. Now, this hope at the end of the age... Is something that the prophets in the scriptures are always talking about. Go backwards to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter two, and you have you have this hope for the nation. So so in the in the uh, in the scriptures, God's dream what was isn't just to save people and zap them into a place called heaven, but it's to restore. It's also to restore everything back to the way He originally created it to be. Isaiah chapter two. It speaks to this picture we get in Revelation. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. And it will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares. And we all know what plowshares are, of course, but the idea if you're taking implements of war and turning them to implements of agriculture, they will take their spears and turn them into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And so the image all throughout the scriptures is of many nations not only being reconciled to God in their worship, but the nations being reconciled to each other so that there is shalom, this biblical idea of peace. Now that is that has been the dream throughout the whole biblical story. So it's not surprising when God himself makes an appearance on planet earth In the form of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus uh, doesn't pay much attention to the stereotypes, to the labels, to the class divisions of his day. So what I want to do is I want to go to Luke, and I want to look at five or six episodes really quickly. If you've been with us, you've heard all of these, all right? But I want you to feel the weight of them. You could not, if you heard this read, remember, back in the day, you didn't sit and listen to Bible stories in half-hour chunks, you would, you would hear the whole thing at once. People, they, had, they, they actually had imaginations back then, and they, they could, had the tension spans. It's this weird concept, but, but it was this idea. Now, I'm just poking fun at us. But, but, but so often, we just take these little bitty Bible stories and isolate them from each other, but there's, there's a systematic idea that's being presented in all of these. So, go if you would to Luke chapter 4. If you've been with us, these are stories you know, you've heard. I'm going to really just quickly go through, I think, six of them. Luke chapter 4. In the Jewish world of Jesus' day, there were all kinds of ways to divide and categorize. Shocking. You You would separate the clean from the unclean. These were ceremonial divisions that turned into something more significant than that. You had rich and poor, of course. You had male and female. You you had diseased and healthy. In fact, we have some later rabbis of examples who would literally pray, God, thank you that I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile, which means I'm not a non-Jewish person. And thank you that I'm not a woman. Right? So there was this, there, there were all these divisions in the first century. So it's not surprising when the God who dreams about every tongue, tribe, nation, and people, when that God makes an appearance on planet Earth, it's not surprising that he's rearranging all the social categories. Correct? And this is just what he does. So, Luke chapter 4, verse 33, this is Jesus um, confronting a man with a demon. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all, came out without injuring him. One of the things that astonished... Jesus' contemporaries whether he had authority over this demonic realm with just words. He didn't have to do incantations. He didn't have to do rituals. He could just say, come out, and it came out. But the thing that was so interesting was that Jesus would engage with these people who were deemed unclean, like, at the highest degree. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 13. Here we meet a man who had leprosy. Remember, leprosy wasn't just... The the disease itself, but the social stigma, no one would touch you. You were rendered forever unclean. So when the man comes and begs Jesus for healing, and it says in verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Remember how big a deal that was? It was thought that unclean would pollute clean, but Jesus' clean trumps every other unclean. So Jesus touches the man and heals him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Next episode, Jesus heals a paralyzed guy. Verse 24. Remember, a paralyzed guy is lowered down through a roof right in the middle of a teaching that Jesus is doing. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man, a reference to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. And immediately, the guy was healed. Now again, you know these stories, we want to look, we, we so often want to look at them in isolation, but it's the weight of them. Here's a demon-possessed person, here's a leper, here's a paralytic. Now, verse 27, same chapter, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. Remember, we've talked about how utterly despised tax collectors were. They were they were the reason, they were agents, they were Jewish people. Who were agents of the Roman government who were holding people into economic poverty and ritual uncleanliness? I mean, these folks were just despised. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. We know him as Matthew at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great, 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 a great banquet, a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others. We're eating there, but the Pharisees, teachers of the law, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They turn the others into sinners. And so it was just interesting. You would not share a meal with people who were unclean, who were sinful, because it would thought to contaminate you. Again, all of these stories you know, but it's the weight of them. It's the demon-possessed guy. It's the paralytic. It's the leper. It's the sinners. Go, uh, if you would, to chapter 6, verse 12. We'll go verse 13. Just because you look interested. Verse 13. When morning came, Jesus called 12. He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas son of James. Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Now these names don't mean a lot to us. But included in here is a a tax collector. Included in here are peasant fishermen who hated to pay taxes. And included in here was someone who had a nickname called the Zealot. The Zealots were people who killed tax collectors. Okay, so... It's not surprising that the God who dreams about every tongue, tribe, nation, and people, when this God makes a personal appearance on planet Earth, assembles a crew around himself of people who would not normally be together. Would you agree? So he's breaking all the boundaries, clean and unclean, male and female. It doesn't matter. He's healing, he's touching, he's blessing. Just a couple more uh, examples. Chapter 8, we looked at this one last fall. Verse one, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 who we just met were with him, and also some women who'd been cured from evil spirits. Now, remember, we talked about the fact that the women aren't there as support staff. The way the thing is written, and we looked at it in depth, these are women who were his disciples. And back then, you didn't have women who were disciples. Now, all of this kind of jet tour, to remind you of things we already know, is to impress upon you the weight of the God who breaks every social category, right? It's not surprising then, when Jesus dies and is resurrected, he ascends to the Father and the Holy Spirit is poured out, that his earliest followers would begin to break the social categories too, We don't have time to look at it, but there there was a man named Philip who encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your parents later away from here. (laughs) Eunuchs in the Old Testament, eunuchs in the Old Testament were prohibited from being a part of the covenant worship. But Philip comes across this guy who gives his life to Jesus, baptizes him into the new covenant community on the spot. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that When the spirit of this Jesus, the God who dreams of every tongue, tribe, and nation, is poured out, all of the social categories that existed before are eradicated. Now, it wasn't perfect. A guy named Peter has to receive a vision three times to convince him to go to visit someone who's not Jewish. And, in fact, remember, had to be rebuked by his friend Paul in the book of Galatians for still playing favorites, even though he'd seen the vision. But the point is... That when the God who visits the earth and who dreams of every tongue, tribe, nation, and people demolishes the social categories, his people end up doing the same thing, even if it takes them a while. Go if you would to the book of Galatians. Paul says something that's unbelievable here. In the first century, Judaism had all of these categories and distinctions, but those different categories and distinctions existed in the Roman world. So you would have citizen of Rome and non-citizen of Rome. You would have male, female. Male, you had the power of life and death of your household. Females existed just for the males. You had slave or free. Now, the vast majority of the Roman Empire were, were slaves. Not slaves like we had slavery in America, but slaves nevertheless... A very small minority were free men. And, and you had all of these distinctions in the Roman world on top of the distinctions in, excuse me, in the Jewish world. Did you see that quick reflex? I was like a gazelle <laughs> right there. These are buckeyes, by the way. People keep asking, what is that? These are buckeyes. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Now this is a church... That it is meeting in a predominantly Gentile region. Gentile just means non-Jewish. And one historian argues this is the first time anything like this had ever been said. Notice. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There you go. Whatever previous identity you had is now secondary to children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you've clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what he's not saying is that you cease being male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. I mean, when you leave the church service, you're still those things. But what he is saying is that the gospel of Jesus robs those things of their defining power. That those things aren't the most important things anymore. You, you You have been turned into something new. Now you still may find yourself slave or free, male or female. But those distinctions aren't as important as the fact that you are now children of God. And the invitation is that the church becomes a household of brothers and sisters relating to a common father through Jesus the Son. And so... This, this historian I'm quoting said, there was nothing like this that had ever been set up to this point. Every, you didn't find in the Roman Empire people who would freely choose to be together, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave or free, except here. The Church of Jesus is the only place where tax collectors and people that kill them can somehow find common ground. The Church of Jesus is the only place where Ethiopian eunuchs and faithful Jews could find common ground. It's the only place where slave and free, male and female, can find common ground. Paul reflects in this in the book of Ephesians. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's writing to a church, and we can't even imagine this. Paul is writing to a church where there are Jewish believers in Jesus. These people see Jesus as their Jewish Messiah. There are non-Jewish believers in Jesus who could care less about the Old Testament and who've come out of a place of worship where they see many gods and goddesses. And for some reason, they're leaning towards Jesus. There was so much tension between these two groups. So Paul writes about how these two groups are brought together. Notice verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. Who are Gentiles? Non-Jews. So that's almost all of us. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Remember, one of the very proud uh, markers, boundary markers of Judaism was circumcision. And so... One of the epithets they would level against Gentiles was that they were uncircumcised. So Paul says, Remember those that you were, who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in the covenant promise in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope, without God in the world. So lost, in other words. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, and this is unbelievably important, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one what? New humanity out of the two with thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, oh my goodness, we could spend weeks on this. Here's the idea. Non-Jewish people come to Jesus. Jewish people come to Jesus. But they don't stay just Jewish followers of Jesus and Gentile followers of Jesus. The idea is that these Jewish followers of Jesus become something new and these Gentile followers of Jesus become something new and together they're created a new humanity and the word new here means a never before seen kind of humanity. The only place where Jew and Greek and male and female and slave are free. All of those distinctions now have been robbed of their power by the cross of Jesus. How? Number one the cross of Jesus says everyone is fallen short. It doesn't matter who you are, what color your skin is, what's your socioeconomic status, we're all leveled before Jesus in our need for grace and we're all uplifted by grace through faith into sonship and daughtership. Therefore, there is no room for exclusion or boasting or prejudice or bias. Why? Because none of us deserve to be there. So, What he's saying is that racial tolerance isn't going to do it, political correctness isn't going to do it, the right kind of politics isn't going to do it. If we just educate our children, that's not going to do it. The only way, male, female, slave or free, Jew or Greek, the only way Jews and Gentiles gather together is by each individually coming to Christ, and Christ being big enough, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, to bring the two groups, not just individually together, following Jesus separately, but calling them one new humanity. Now this, this was explosive in the first century. Nobody, nobody, no religious system, no worldview, nothing was saying this. Nothing was doing this. So Paul, go to 2 Corinthians, one last text. Paul reflects on this. In fact, don't go there. I'm going to put it up on the screen. That's how important it is. I want you to soak this in. Now, Paul is making a sustained argument that we don't have time to examine, but think about what he's saying here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's a worldly point of view mean? A worldly point of view means When you're looking at people according to all of the distinctions and valuations and evaluations of the world, correct? Slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female. At minimum, looking at people from a worldly point of view means you're not seeing them as the image of God bearers that they are. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, he was just a man, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You don't just get a ticket to heaven and then you wait for a while until you die. You are made into something new. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God. Now, notice how many times the word reconciliation is used here. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us... Us, the ministry of reconciliation. What's that ministry? That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. How many times could He say it? Three, by my count. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, you be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh my goodness. Now, if, there's a, if I have a personal, do you see those reflexes? Gazelle. If, if I have a personal mission statement, it's that whole text. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, regard nobody from a worldly point of view. And instead, your job isn't to have a nice life, isn't to be a great husband, isn't to be a great wife. It isn't to find your vocation in life. Your job is to be a minister of reconciliation wherever you are. You are literally an ambassador. And so, with that call in view, I want to put some images up on the screen from this past year. You know how they do like the, the most powerful photographs of 2014? And I want to ask the question, how do we be ministers of reconciliation in view of this? So remember these protests. A black man died. One of his last words was, I can't breathe. So there were these protests all over. Now, what I want to do is I just want you to monitor your reactions to these pictures. In other words, we are immersed in these images all the time. And if you're like me, you have thoughts about them that you're not even aware you're thinking. I would love for you to bring whatever you're thinking out to kind of your consciousness. Oh, what are the things you think when you see these things? Because these are the images we live in. These are the images we swim in. So we had riots in Ferguson and protest. Muslim cleric? What are the things that come to mind? Black lives matter, but every life matters. What are the things you think when you see these things? What does it mean to be a new humanity in a world like this? Two officers that were shot, what does it mean when you see these signs see no one in their right mind is ever going to walk around saying yeah that whole people group I'm not a fan of no one's ever going to say that least of all in the church But I would argue very simply that one of the great gifts the church has to offer the world if we were to get our act together would be the only place where male, female, slave free, Jew, Greek, black, white united by a common love of Jesus could show off. See, our world's answer to all of this is political correctness. Don't say certain words. Okay, that's a start, I guess. Our world's answer to this is tolerance. Okay, Jesus' answer is love, which is far stronger and requires so much more. See, the last thing I'd ever want to do is a message on racial reconciliation. Why? Because we'd all go, yeah, 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 got it. White guilt, yep, no problem. And that is so not God's heart. For the world, See, for me, if we are a fundamentally missionary organization, then one of the most compelling missional tasks to our world is to actually find a group of people where all the social distinctions are rendered irrelevant by something more significant. That's what our world's really looking for. And we want to say it's found in Jesus. Oh yeah? Well, let's show it. And so for me, my, my brother is, he's, I have a younger brother who lives in Sacramento. He is whiter than I am, if you can believe that. There, such a whiteness exists. And he married the darkest African-American woman he could, I mean, we, you could not get more polar express extremes. I mean, it's just like, and so it's been interesting to hear their perspective. She's a doctor. He's a graphic designer. It's been interesting to hear their perspective as an interracial couple. It's been interesting to hear her perspective as she shares about patients who will ask for other doctors. Because no one's going to say, yeah, I'm racist. No one says that. That's That's like one of the unbelievable blasphemies of our age. But can we not be immersed in all those images and have them so politicized and think that somehow we're just fine? Men and women, if we have any glimpse of what Jesus has done and if we have any love for the world that He's entrusted to us to be ministers of reconciliation to, then how can we not evaluate all of the stuff that goes on when I see those images flashing on the news. And for those of you news those were TV shows back in the day where they would show, you get, okay, not funny. Not surprising but that it was not funny, but I've dealt with not funny my whole life and I'm fine with it. Now, and one of the things um, I've had a great privilege to do is serve as a chaplain for our Fullerton Police Department. And it's astounding what you see when you leave the hill of Brea and Bassentury. Like there's this whole other part of Fullerton. And it's just very interesting. None of our easy answers work. None of our social programs are perfect. There's no amount of education that's going to make it right. I truly believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And if he's the hope of the world, it's not just about getting souls into heaven It's about being a preview of the moment when every tongue and tribe and nation and people all sing praise to the Lamb. And that just means we have to be ruthless, starting with us, not them, not those people, not they, but with us. And so for me, serving as a chaplain, it's just been interesting seeing some of the quick judgments I'm tempted to make. And seeing God invite me out of those judgments into something far more beautiful. And so, this morning, we just wanted to talk a little bit. This isn't about politics. This isn't about political correctness. But to me, it's a fundamental part of the gospel of Jesus. That God invites us out of ourselves and makes us new. And that means every other person that's made new is made new and that the old valuations and categories don't apply. We see this too. We have a little boy who has Down syndrome. He's up here dancing. We try to encourage dancing, by the way. Some of you could take a few cues from that little dude in his worship style. But the looks that we get everywhere, the double takes, the staring, I don't know what it's like to be an Asian American or Latino Or an African, I don't know what that's like. Not going to pretend to, but we get a little bit with our dude. Just sometimes the unfiltered look of disgust when they see him, and we just kind of stare back at those people and show him off more. (laughs) Say, you, you, you wouldn't be good enough to have one of these. So don't even mess with us. Um, That's not the message of reconciliation, by the way. That's bad. (laughs) That's bad. (laughs) <laughs> but, but I hope the basic gist is coming across, brothers and sisters in a world of images how do we embody the new humanity how do we fight through all I mean, because this is, this is so heavily pressed in us how do we become something different so close your eyes if you would if you have never I'm going to end where Paul ended I urge you be reconciled to God If you have never given your life to Jesus, I urge you, be reconciled to God through Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, if you've never surrendered your agenda to Him, I urge you to give Him your life. We have a team of people over to your right who stand at the end of every service. They're called the I Believe team. We've seen nine people come to Jesus through their ministry over the last month or so. And we just invite anyone here who has questions, doubts, who just needs prayer to go approach them. But for those of us who've been reconciled to Jesus, what does it mean to no longer regard anybody from a worldly point of view? What does it mean to live that way? Who are the people that we regard from a worldly point of view? What's that mean and look like? The scriptures say that judgment begins with the house of God. And so, God, we just pray that you would examine our hearts and that you would allow us to be good news in the world in desperate need of it. And, Father, that you would give us the ministry of reconciliation, announcing that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ and that it is possible to not be defined by your status, your skin color your political preferences, but something far greater than that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this place, that the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit we share in common would be the thing that unifies us. And so we bless your name, Father, and ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.